I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. coaches across the NFL. About a dozen more coordinators today will go team by team for all the jobs that have been filled with these new names, Hayden, and figure out like the one thing they're going to fix, the reasons that they were hired to these franchises. And just even the path, how they got to these names, some of them uh, more hilarious than others. Yes, absolutely. Okay, we'll kick things off with the Washington Commanders, since they are the most recent. Hayden, you and I opened this conversation this cycle thinking that this was the most coveted position out there it was actually the last one filled let's now hear from new head coach dan quinn everything and that's what the essence is of the job it's the chemistry it's the messaging it's the play style it's the attitude it's the swagger like that's my number one job to make sure all of this comes together um Obviously, I cut my teeth on the defensive side, so um, that part's important. But Joe will call the plays on defense, and Cliff will call the plays on offense. And I'll certainly be there. The game management portion is so critical. So I wanted to make sure the best version of me, like I said, is coaching the entire team and making sure our play style is so right that it's a nightmare for teams to play against between the personnel you know, that Adam puts together, the scheme from the coaching side, and then quite honestly for me, the play style to say playing against us is really hard. And the attitude, the speed, the effort, the ball hawking, the tackling, the finishing of blocks, the explosive plays, that's how you know we create a nightmare to go against. And we're going to work our ass off to do that. But as far as play calling, um, I'll be involved with it. But those guys will call the game. But the essence of this job as a head coach isn't just to be on one side. It's to tie everything together. And that's when I'm at my best. And so that's what I'll do. Your thoughts on Dan Quinn leading the commanders? Well, I think there's two different sections of this, just Dan Quinn's head coach candidacy and then the path that they got there. I like Dan Quinn. I think that he's great for the locker room. Everyone seems to love him. That's why he ultimately ended up getting this job. I think that you can be a locker room game management type of guy, but the requirement is, and we saw this with the Falcons with Dan Quinn, is you got to have the offensive coordinator out there ready to go. They make the Super Bowl with Kyle Shanahan. Things quickly go off the cliff after he leaves there as well. So uh, them bringing in Cliff Kingsbury, them being the last one to fill this kind of head coaching candidacy did end up working against him. I think that Dan Quinn is a good guy. It was probably time for him to get a second job, but just the path that got there, that's where you have kind of issues with just the commanders. It's a brand new regime, but some of the same old storylines that we're used to with Washington kind of crept up here again. Dan Quinn hired as head coach. Adam Pierce, obviously back on, I don't know, January 12th, I believe, hired as general manager. Cliff Kingsbury, as you just said, hired as offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. Joe Witt Jr. Stood out to me that Dan Quinn, in some ways, is getting this job again because of the performances that his defenses put out there. 
in Dallas. And now he is taking this CEO approach that he is not going to call either side of the ball, mm-hmm. that instead he is going to take this overarching top level has now been coined by the football media, this CEO approach. Um, Hayden, I think that 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 style, that role is now becoming more and more accepted because of Dan Campbell in ways we can talk about this. And there are other head coaches that are taking the same exact approach. I'm totally with you in that the players absolutely love him. They love his culture. They love how he speaks to him. Micah Parsons, an NFL superstar, has been voicing his opinions on Twitch that, you know, Dan Quinn needs another one of these starting gigs. So I'm glad that he gets one. Hayden, on the opposite side of this, it's weird that the Washington Commanders with the most cap space, with the most top 100 draft picks, are the last ones to make a hire, and by all accounts are in their third or fourth mm-hmm. on the pecking order of who they actually wanted to hire as their lead man. So when we said we're going to fix the teams in that podcast previously, I said, make it rain. Get the number one GM candidate that you want. You have, you're worth $7 billion, the new owner. So they get him. Peter's everyone well-respected. He brings in a bunch of basketball type of guys, some of his buddies back from the Warriors. And it seems like everyone knows that they're trying to go offense, offense, offense. Well, the number one offensive coordinator candidate, was Ben Johnson. He was the number one target. That was reported all the way through. Well, the Lions kept winning these games, and then by the time Ben Johnson was going to make his decision whether he wants this job or not, Bobby Slowick re-upped. We had Canales signed. So all the other top offense coordinators were gone. By the time they get to the altar, all of a sudden, Ben Johnson doesn't like this basketball guy's approach. He backs away from the job, and then they're looking at Mike McDonald, who ends up going to the Seahawks, because the Seahawks offered him more money in a six-year deal and that's the frustrating part is you have all the thing you might get a new stadium you got rid of the dan snyder time to make a brand new impact bring in a brand new quarterback and you let the ben johnson whether whether whatever his problems were with the organization and mike mcdonald to get outbid by the seahawks so then you fall into dan quinn and now you're trying to point fingers at ben johnson messing up that's the really frustrating part and then but because you lingered so long and you couldn't get a commitment from ben johnson now all the other offense coordinators are off the market, and now you're settled with Cliff Kingsbury, who was down to just basically two options at the end of the day. Yeah, talk to me through Cliff Kingsbury, who you watched every single game that he helped coach the USC offense, an offense, help. Uh, an offense that took obvious steps back despite having most likely the number one pick. And Hayden, on the tail end of this conversation, we also need to get into the Caleb Williams link mm-hmm. at some point. Right. So with Cliff Kingsbury, he obviously is working under Lincoln Riley. This is Lincoln Riley's offense. I'm not sure how much say Cliff Kingsbury had. Obviously, he has connections with Caleb Williams. The problem with the USC offense, they used a ton of four wide receiver sets. Their offensive line was tragic. They didn't use any pre-snap motion. They were 59th out of 69 uh, power five teams. They had an RPO on 31% of their dropbacks. They used a screen on 27% of your dropbacks. So a lot of the like early additions of what the Cardinals offense was, where it was static and then just kind of throwing the ball underneath. You had a lot of that with Caleb Williams who can throw the ball 60 yards on the run. So that was the really tragic part of the USC offense. It's just hard to say how much of that was Lincoln Riley versus Cliff Kingsbury versus the bad offensive line. I didn't think the wide receivers at USC were any good, but I don't think that Cliff Kingsbury learned a brand new modern offense in Thailand. I watched the USC offense. He didn't learn the NFL centered offense there as well. So I think you're going to get 
a lot of the same concepts that we were used to with Kyler Murray. And I think it's ultimately just going to depend. Is it Drake May? Is it Jaden Daniels? How much of a dual threat quarterback do they have uh, in Washington? There were a lot of offensive coordinator op- openings, you know, this cycle. Could that one year in college, like really change people's perceptions, these clubs perception of Cliff no. Kingsbury, but it seems like they had, I mean, the Raiders wanted him. They only offered a two-year deal. He wanted mm-hmm. a three-year deal, and that's why he goes to the Washington Commander. So even forced because of you know multiple clubs wanting him, mm-hmm. forced a team to give him a three-year contract. Well, it's different when like these uh, NFL head coaches like go to Bama or LSU and they like learning a different styled offense. He goes back to right right what he's familiar with with Lincoln Riley. So I think it's him learning a new trick. I didn't see any new tricks at USC. So I say it, I think Oldsman is going to be like the same type of Cliff Kingsbury offense. And, and that Cliff Kingsbury offense by the end of it in Arizona was I'm not going to say pathetic. It, it was just frustrating. Static, like yeah. it was so static. I mean, we literally had when you go back and watch those stats versus films or instant reaction videos with DeAndre Hopkins stuck to one side of the formation, and there was nothing creative yeah. about it at all. Yeah. And it makes you wonder someone like Dan Quinn, who sees defenses or offenses across the league when prep preparing his defense, typically in that regard, you try to hire a play caller who ran a scheme, a style of offense that gave you trouble. Mm-hmm. Probably didn't give him a lot of trouble. I mean, right. so and then the end of this, Hayden, is are you buying these Caleb William connections now? No, I mean, the commanders can want them as much as they want. If the Bears want them, the Bears are going to draft them. Right. The, the other little connection I thought was funny was just that Magic Johnson, who's a part owner of the commanders, was the one to get Cliff Kingsbury to come to Washington reportedly. So that's another thing that's like basketball culture. Magic Johnson's making football decisions anyways. But I think ultimately we can talk about Cliff, Dan Quinn, all of these guys here. The second overall pick, that's what's going to change the franchise. Do they yeah. nail the quarterback or do they not? And I just want to kind of set a baseline of what the commanders are working with. All the cap space, all the picks, but they were dead last in EPA on defense. They were 26 on special teams. They were 26 in penalties, 29th in turnover rate. They were dead last in play action rate last year. So they have a bunch of problems. And I think the only answer is not going to be the coaching staff necessarily. It's going to be how good is the quarterback that they end up drafting? Uh, it seems like we have some upside with these guys, but these guys, I've watched them. They're not wartless or war- yeah, wartless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wartless is, is the right term. I think that this tweet by Charles Robinson was very poignant. Uh, quote, the commanders or a proxy are engaging in a campaign of score settling with Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson. It's a bad look. If you're that pissed about the pursuit, cross them off your list and move on. Retribution on this level just tells people you're vindictive. And I mean, we got the Diane Rossini plus Ben Standick report today. We've gotten more from Albert Breer. We obviously got the Adam Schefter stuff where and Josine Anderson, you know, dating back weeks and months, it feels like of how much money Ben Johnson was asking for than little leaks that, oh, he actually didn't nail his interview and, oh, he just likes to hole up in his office and doesn't want to lead so the team. Lame. In the simplest terms, I'll put it this way, okay? And maybe this isn't fair, but this is just one outsider's view. They forced Dan Quinn to fly commercial to his interview in Arlington, in Washington, and they were taking the private plane to go to Detroit to meet with Ben Johnson plus Aaron Glenn. Yeah, That is a pretty major difference of how you were going to pursue these candidates. And on top of that, how it's also been mentioned that they offered Mike McDaniel, who then took the job in Seattle, and then a 24-hour 
midnight call to Bill Belichick that was just a little check-in and then you, you know, go and hire Dan Quinn. I'm not saying this to put down Dan Quinn. We have seen like the last hiring of cycles Mm -hmm. actually be the best one Mm -hmm. in many cases, right? So this can absolutely work. And I agree with you. If the number two pick outperforms others or plays to a certain level, that is the biggest changer. But let's not get it twisted. I understand that Adam Peters and Josh Harris's opening press conference, they mentioned that they want a leader. They want culture. They want this and that. And certainly Dan Quinn um, fits all and ticks all those boxes. But if you hired Ben Johnson, you would want him to call plays and you wanted Ben Johnson in the first place. Yeah, Yeah, they're offering the contract. They had their private jet. So miss me with all this BS. All right. Now let's go to the Seattle Seahawks, where actually Mike McDonald took the job, and here he is at his opening press conference. These guys described your your philosophy as flexible and adaptable. When did that become the most important thing to you, and, and why is that the identity of your defense? Well, the offenses out there are too good just to run three things and just say, "All right, we're going to beat you." You know, so I, I, as a philosophically, again, I think we're all in this thing together, and the players need to know that we're trying to put them in advantageous positions. So. We're constantly trying to give them little margins of um, advantages. And if you're not doing that, then, you know, what are you doing as a coach, whether it's through technique or fundamentals or communication or scheme? Uh, so the system that we run is built on concepts that are adjustable and we can layer it together. And, you know, we're not going to get there overnight. It's going to be a process, you know, but we have, we have, we understand what that takes and um, the cadence will, uh, will vary, you know, based on how fast the guys can pick it up. And, and what they can do. So it's not going to, the, the, the spirit of how we play and the principles of how we play, what you've seen on the tape in Baltimore will be the same, but I can't guarantee you the, the schematics will be the same uh, here because, you know, I just, we're not sure what we're good at yet. Mike. Your thoughts on the former Ravens defense coordinator now leading the charge in Seattle? So when you let go Pete Carroll and he's still kind of hanging around the offense, I think he was kind of looking at Dan Quinn, which would be basically firing Pete Carroll for himself or going with the younger version of Mike McDonald. And this is the offense or the defense that's taking the league by storm. And they're very multiple, but like he just said, it depends on the skill set of the defense. As you can see right here with the Ravens last year, they ran a bunch of different types of defense cover one cover three now we're getting to our two high shells and four and cover two they can run man coverage and simulated pressures up front and they were excellent at all of them that was also a very good ravens defense we've always thought that there's more talent on seattle's defense versus the actual production that they were getting from them they're gonna have to make some moves like jamal adams getting out of there but i liked this version of the higher versus dan quinn i think just for locker room purposes especially for gm uh schneider you kind of want to separate what you've had and what you're doing moving forward and also this year it's just a small sample size here and this ravens defense was very good they actually contained this shanahan tree well guess what when you're in the seahawks mcveigh and shanahan aren't going anywhere and actually even liked what the cardinals were doing on offense there as well so you got to be able to stop this scheme specifically if you want to get anywhere in the playoffs yeah in a conference, in a division, more importantly, that you have to play Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan twice a year, mm-hmm. you need great defense. And Hayden, I loved his comment of, hey, we aren't just going to do the same three things and just be better at you at them. Um, by the way, I'm not saying that's a shot, but that does call back to the days of the Legion and Boom and the right. cover one, cover three stuff that did kind of run the same thing and just have better players. 
than you, but I don't think you have to look any further than what the Browns defense did against the Houston Texans in the playoffs and then what the Baltimore Ravens defense did against the Houston Texans. Um, both were believed to be the top two defenses in the league. As we know, Jim Schwartz, and that defense was great this year in Cleveland, but they do run one or two or three things and do it at a high level. Okay, when you have great offensive pieces, C.J. Stroud to Nico Collins and a coordinator that knows where to attack you in those areas, then boom, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Mike McDonald and company lock them up, lock them up significantly. To tell that, Jamal Adams is not a piece of this. Jamal Adams is not this Kyle Hamilton type player that they can utilize in three safety looks or big nickel in the slot, so on and so forth. He is out of there for cap purposes. Obviously, Mike McDonald, the one name that he brought up was Devin Witherspoon. And Devin Witherspoon is someone that I'm sure that they absolutely loved. Yes. I do think that they have to figure out the defensive front, albeit I think Mike McDonald elevated talents along his defensive front and not some journeyman per se, but guys who had been around the league, Calvin Noy, Jadavion Clowney, got them playing at a super high level, got them bought in significantly. And he probably even has more defensive back talent in Seattle than he had in Baltimore. So the thing he has to work on is getting the offense in order. We still don't have an offensive coordinator yet. Uh, it seems like the Alabama offense coordinator, Ryan Grubb, who has only been there for a couple of weeks, that he is a candidate. He comes from the Washington offense, which is a bunch of passing, lots of deep passing. If you're uh, used to watching the Michael Penix uh, out there. But in the meantime, they did bring in Leslie Frazier, who is a great assistant head coach because he's been around the league forever. He's obviously going to bring some experience that Mike McDonald lacks at this level. And he's obviously going to help the offense. So I think that Geno Smith, he's going to be back under contract. They have the wide receivers. They both obviously have the running backs. They hit on the tackles later in the draft. So the offense is more or less set. This defense has just been underperforming, underperforming. And I think that this was universally the top defensive coordinator available on the market if you're not counting Bill Belichick for whatever reason. Sound like they wanted to bring in Mike Kafka as the offensive coordinator to a guy who actually was getting head coach interviews with John Schneider and company for this team. Uh, Mike Kafka previously was the play caller for the New York Giants. It got kind of wonky throughout the year when everything did. <laughs> took a bad turn that Brian Dayball plucked it back. And yeah. as we know, Wink Martindale and Brian Dayball did not get along in the end. It sounds like Mike Kafka will have to resign a la Wink Martindale if he is going to leave mm -hmm. the New York Giants. And that doesn't sound like it's going to happen because they are paying him handsomely at this moment. Big picture. Look, Hayden, all of us on the outside love to talk about potential of teams assets of teams it is so clear that mike mcdonald took the proven and the certain versus the potential of what washington could be instead he chose seattle which john schneider has been there for like 10 15 almost 20 years at this point right they kept the same exact head coach they already have a quarterback in place they already have wide receivers in place they have certain pieces along that offensive line defensive talent so on and so forth is there anything you take away from that where we shouldn't always think, oh, rebuild, reset with all these assets? That means a new head coach is going to want that. Instead, as we have seen, head coaches can get fired because there's no salary cap. If owners obviously are going to pay their contracts throughout, mm -hmm. that may be more proven assets, albeit uh, less to begin with, start off with, might be more enviable spots. Yeah, this this is just the debate of how much experience do you want or do you just want the next wave? And I think that McDonald is bringing the next wave of defense. And you're going to see this kind of 
Harbaugh tree kind of get stuffed out. You're going to see a lot of these Michigan hires going back to what the Chargers are bringing in. And yeah, the in general, I think the Seahawks offense is set, the defense underperformed, and now you have the potential to kind of have both being able to work out. Okay, let's go to Las Vegas then. Where, you know, their head coach has basically been in place since November 1st, even if there were some reports that they'd be looking elsewhere. And his name is Antonio Pierce, along with new general manager, Tom Telesco. Done. I'm uh, wondering, what are you guys looking for in an offensive coordinator? Yeah, that's a great Minimum 24 points. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'll be honest. Uh, just like everything else that we've done throughout this process, I, I honestly believe this. I don't think everybody's meant to be for the Raiders. I don't think everybody's meant to play for the Raiders or coach for the Raiders. I think that's going to be something I really dig into as we go into that process. Uh, but more importantly, somebody that's um, – the way the game is, you know, and you know, AP wants to run the ball. No, AP just wants to run a style of football and, and run the ball the, way, the, the football style a certain way. But it's it's the approach. It's being a teacher. It's being somebody that can stand in front of this room and the man that's looking at him like you looking at me, that they believe in the plan and the process and that they're a teacher and that they can adjust on the fly, right, because that's what this game's about. Style of play, I think that's all that's going to vary. There's a lot of things that goes into that, right? I mean, we know that we have some positions on our roster that we need to look at and evaluate even more with Tom and myself as we, as we go forward. But you know you want you know what you've seen in the National Football League. You gotta be able to run a football play action pass, and what are the Raiders known for? The vertical passing game, right? So we want to see the shots down the field. We want the expl- explosive plays. So that has to be a part of the creativity. Uh, you know, you look at the shifts, the motion, all that stuff goes into it. I'm not gonna give my whole hat away and tip, but just think of when Raiders were playing really good football, and that's gonna be offensive coordinator, hopefully, as we go forward. All right. Since then, they tried to hire Cliff Kingsbury, that fell through, and now they have hired Luke Getze, a former offensive coordinator, play caller for the Chicago Bears. Your thoughts on that trio? Well, just wanted to mention real quick that the report was that the deal that Cliff Kingsbury was offered was, quote, insulting, and it was only a two-year deal. He wanted a three-year deal, obviously, the commanders end up giving them, which is like the same classic stuff that you get with the Raiders here. I think that just going back to Antonio Pierce, we have to mention that Max Crosby threatened that he wanted to be traded if Antonio Pierce wasn't back. Devontae Adams didn't go quite that far, uh, as I recall, but he was very vocal that he wanted Antonio Pierce back. So it didn't seem like uh, Davis had much say here. Antonio Pierce needed to stay because his best players wanted to say. Now, with Luke Getze, um, it's hard to just kind of take away what Justin Fields was bringing to this offense or lack of bringing to this offense and what Luke Getze was uh, bringing to this offense in Chicago. The reports out of senior bowl is kind of everyone's blaming more Justin Fields saying that Luke Getze's offense is actually kind of good. Uh, we'll see with that. This is one of these where it's impossible to tell until we learn what type of quarterback uh, they're going to bring in. When Antonio Pierce was talking about that, they want to be able to run the ball, set up play action, and then hit these vertical explosive spots. I think that Russell Wilson could come to mind. That's kind of what Justin Fields is able to do. But I think stepping all the way back, once Antonio Pierce was mentioned here, he wanted the ownership wanted experience. That's why they're like interviewing Marvin Lewis, Hugh Jackson, Cliff Kingsbury, obviously. Uh, Luke Getze has some experience. Tom Telesco, he gets brought in because he knows the division and he has a bunch of experience. So once they went with Antonio Pierce, lack of experience, they're trying to surround uh, this entire team with as much experience as possible. And I think that's twofold. One, obviously, Antonio Pierce has plenty of playing experience. His coaching experience is very minimal. Um, He was the head coach of Long Beach Poly High School from 2014 to 2017. They're good, by the way. Okay. (laughs) Then he goes to Arizona State um, as a linebackers coach, associate head coach, 
blah, blah, blah. Then just joins the Las Vegas Raiders in 2022 as a linebackers coach. And then obviously halfway through last season, takes over for Josh McDaniels. Again, Hayden, totally with exactly what you just said, but these buzzwords this year, they're different every single cycle. Culture, continuity, leadership. This is what Antonio Pierce brings to the table because Patrick Graham's going to be calling the defense. Mm-hmm. Luke Getz is going to be calling the offense. I fully believe that if Dan Campbell isn't doing what Dan Campbell is doing right now, right. then this wouldn't be the path that everyone is taking. Because again, we've seen it in previous years. If you knew Sean McVay and were a friend of Sean McVay, you are getting a head coaching job. Now, many of those have panned out extremely well, right? right. So I'm, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that these trends happen mm-hmm. in different coaching cycles. You can even look at defensive coordinators in recent years. Hey, Vic Fangio was amazing. Let's go hire every single person that runs a defense like Vic Fangio. Yeah. That has gone this year. It is finding the CEO type yeah. and congrats to Dan Campbell for doing this and congrats to these guys for mm-hmm. having that personality, because I'm not saying that's going to work or it's not because to me, there are multiple ways to skin a cat and to build a franchise. And this is yeah. absolutely one of them. Obviously the only downside is maybe that culture um, isn't as good as the Lions or any other franchise. Right. Even the Ravens are great at it, and they are able to replace coordinators on the offensive side and defensive side of the ball at will. I think part of the Shanahan-McVay tree, though, is we're running out of names. Like There just weren't as many candidates out there because they've been plucked apart. So I think that maybe in a year or two from now, we'll kind of go back to them because maybe there's a couple young guys on staff that'll have enough experience. So in the meantime, it'll be Antonio Pierce, uh, the kind of – scatter shotted once you're trying to get to the offensive coordinator um and that kind of took a long time because they already had antonio pierce in the building so didn't necessarily love that but it's it's like the commander's conversation until you get the quarterbacks figured out basically nothing else matters they're kind of in purgatory maybe they make a trade for justin fields i know that luke getsy in his last game with justin fields he was very complimentary of fields even though they had their up and downs uh i'm sure that he's at least some part of the process going into free agency in the trade candidacy also russell wilson he kind of hits that play action deep shot i know that russell wilson had the raiders on that list maybe that's an option or maybe they find somebody in the draft but ultimately i think that the players make good teams then the coaches have some say in that and until the raiders find their quarterback nothing really matters all that much i thought this was really interesting from sanjit t who was a new follower for me on Twitter does some great stuff with the Raiders. Um, obviously, Luke Getze was actually Devontae Adams' position coach, I believe, back mm-hmm. in 2016 with the Green Bay Packers. And because of that, I think people are linking him to Matt LaFleur and his style of offense. It's quite different. In fact, um, it's most close to Joe Moorhead, who I believe worked at Akron, then Mississippi State, then Penn State, and has worked in many places at the college level. It's a lot of spread. And as you said, working down the field. Yeah. So I do wonder what style of quarterback can be brought into that. You mentioned Max Crosby and how he probably had a major voice in this. Yeah. He was one of the few names that Antonio Pierce mentioned in his press conference saying that we have to give Max Crosby effort across the board. Mm. So some harmony there, mm-hmm. let's say. Uh, with Getsy, that was back in Mississippi State a couple of years ago under Moorhead. He had a rushing quarterback there. They were extremely run heavy back in the day. So uh, I'm not sure how much we can learn from like the Packers offense. There's no Aaron Rodgers available for them. Get- Getsy, it's kind of like with Greg Roman, a lot of experience now with kind of this kind of dual threat quarterback. So we'll see if Justin Fields and Getsy makes some sense here. But I don't think that Justin Fields had there's a bunch of landing spots for him. I think the Raiders are one of them.
Also, shout out to uh, shout out to Tom Telesco. Many general managers do not get a second opportunity, a second bite at the apple, and especially ones that were fired midseason. Mm-hmm. Tom Telesco didn't have to wait a year, two years. He had to wait three months to get one. And it's easy to poke holes in draft classes, especially when we know hit rates aren't very high. But this is a guy who hit on the quarterback and still did not keep his job. Like that is rare. And it also got to the point where we are talking about the Chargers right now that have to get rid of all of their star players, many of their star players, and hit the reset button in that way, albeit still having some talent on that side of the ball. We'll talk about them in a moment. Um, I think it's fair to say that despite having a great quarterback, a great left tackle, a great wide receiver, Tom Telesco did not leave the Chargers in a great place, which Mm -hmm. gives me an uneasy feeling if I'm a Raiders fan. When I was working for the Chargers, Telesco's whole philosophy there was draft and re-sign. Like they don't want to be attaching their cap space to players that they don't know. They really have a, or his philosophy is, I want to draft the guys, develop them and re-sign them. And I want to know my guys. Uh, The Raiders don't have a whole lot of guys to develop. They got to freaking find the quarterback and there's no Justin Herbert waiting at 12th overall or wherever they're drafting. Okay. Atlanta Falcons are next. They bring back a familiar face. In Raheem Morris. That's really easy. Drake London. <laughs> Bijan Robinson. I mean, this man has acquired some really good pieces and tools, right? And the things you got to change is just the obvious holes that we'll talk about, right? And we, 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 you're, every team every year is going to have some differences. Every team every year is going to have some change. Every team's going to be different. And we just got to keep building on those moments when they change, when they don't happen, when they do happen, yada, yada, yada. Okay, that is Raheem Morris when asked what offensive pieces he's most excited to coach. Um, this is Raheem Morris, who spent time with this Atlanta Falcons team in the past from the 2015 through 2020 seasons. Hayden, he is bringing defense coordinator Jimmy Lake with him, offensive coordinator Zach Robinson with him from the Los Angeles Rams. And Raheem Morris is another one of these names who is not going to call plays on either side of the ball. Your thoughts on this hire? There is certainly a little Dan Campbell to him. Everyone seems to love Raheem Morris. His interviews, his press conferences are fantastic. I want to go play for this dude. And yeah, even Jalen Ramsey, I believe, said that this is the best coach ever. He has some experience. Then he went back, defensive-minded guy. But he also has time learning some offense as well. He said in Atlanta. Yes, going back and forth from offense to defense within the season. So, uh, like, for example, he was the pass game coordinator on that 28 to 3 Falcons team with Shanahan. So, this guy knows ball on both sides of this. Do not expect him just to be this defensive minded coach. I think that is pigeonholing him into something that he's exactly not. And the Zach Robinson offensive coordinator selection that to me is a very intriguing part because this is kind of like that Sean McVay tree that gets plucked into head coaching positions. He brings them into OC. Everyone really loves this dude, and I'm kind of looking, connecting the dots. I love that he said Drake London because Drake London, Puka Nakua, those two guys can do a very similar thing out there on the football field. So Drake London, super high on him in fantasy going into this next year. And I think that Zach Robinson's the guy that they could commit to bring the most out of whoever this next quarterback is going to be. The reason that Drake London, to me, is not a household name, a star at the position is because of the system and most important, the quarterback he has been attached to because he can win at multiple levels, runs big boy routes, wins in isolation, all of it. And hopefully we get that 
in Atlanta. Now, they don't have the number one, number two, number three overall pick, but they do have an offensive line in place. They have a running back in place, so on and so forth. Uh, people are going to ask, and I have so many other things I want to hit on with what you just said. People are going to ask why he didn't bring up Kyle Pitts' name. Does that bother you? I'm sure the next couple months we will hear so many bullish Kyle Pitts quotes from Raheem Morris, but I mean, he, just he is coming off a much. let's let's put it out there. He is coming off a significant knee injury yes. Yes. that it was quote reported as a meniscus, I believe, injury or MCL injury. Can't remember yes. which one, Both. and it turned out to be much more than that. And we yeah. kind of figure that out yeah. during the season when watching and how we basically couldn't turn and couldn't right. break on his route. So maybe that's part of it is the injury rehab. Right. I think that Kyle Pitts will look better this next year, having yes. another offseason to do that. And I, I guarantee Raheem Morris will have some crazy quotes about Kyle Pitts. How could you not? On the Zach Robinson front. And by the way, Raheem Morris was on the Washington R-Word staff with Woo. Sean McVay, Everybody. <laughs> Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, Bobby Slowick. And he was the one defensive name of that grouping. So when he mentions Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan, when talking about Zach Robinson, who we all know from, I believe, his Oklahoma State days and then his PFF days and then the last few years has been working with Sean McVay and, by the way, kept on his staff after Sean ditched everyone else, mm -hmm. it felt like. That speaks volumes. And I'm sure, sure other teams – would have wanted to hire someone like Zach Robinson for their head coach, for their offensive coordinator opening, I should say. Yeah. But as we heard from Les Need in his postseason presser, people just freaking love, love going to work or playing for mm -hmm. Raheem Morris. I mean, Jalen Ramsey even quote tweeted my tweet on, oh, I want to go play for that dude. No offense, Miami, not saying anything, but I play for Raheem Morris any given day. And so look, those types of advantages are um, maybe going to help them throughout. And I think it does, it is worth saying that he is the first African-American full-time head coach in Atlanta Falcons history, mm -hmm. which is pretty damn cool. Yeah, they're going to love him down there. Um, last note I had on Zach Robinson, he's been the passing coordinator for the Rams, just the guys that they had there, Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford, and then Baker Mayfield there. So the, he hasn't had the like, dual threat type of quarterback yet people like to link Jaden and daniels here they like to link justin fields here we'll see what kind of quarterback zach robinson ends up wanting to want here um but they'll be flexible raheem morris just seems like he will be able to bring anybody they want in there just because they love him another identity instiller another guy who's not calling the defensive plays or the offensive plays mm -hmm. sensing a theme here hayden well with just real quick, because the Falcons were the team that had the most interest in Bill Belichick, the interview yes. twice they were committed to him. It seemed like Arthur Smith wanted them, and then kind of everybody else wanted you know to yeah, keep yeah. the job. <laughs> I think if Arthur Blank didn't listen to anyone around him, then Bill Belichick would be the head coach right. of the Atlanta Falcons. Like, I mean, brought him private plane to his home, so on and so forth. But then the Rich McKay's, the Terry Fontenot's of the world, probably got into this yeah. and. I talk about this all the time. New head coaches are typically hired and they are on the opposite end of the spectrum versus the fired head coach at that same gig. Right. Okay. And so you go from Arthur Smith, offensive play caller, just terrible with the media, yeah. just a pain to deal with to now extreme motivator, happy go lucky smile again, identity mm -hmm. defensive minded head coach in Raheem Morris. And you can, Sift that however you want to with many of these other hires across the league. 
Yeah, for the coaches that didn't get jobs, I would say get ready to learn manners. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick, uh, not too friendly recently in front of the media. Have you ever been on vacation after a long day of activities or sightseeing? You have a night in room service, bathrobes, and television or movies. And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have, and you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. You start a new show, a new series, and when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals underdog or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right, three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals underdog. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Okay, let's stay in the division. NFC South with the Carolina Panthers and new head coach, Dave Canales. Sky's the limit for him. Um, I think the, the important part to understand is, is for Bryce to just see, just, just do your 111 mm-hmm. on the offensive side. That's it. Mm-hmm. He's been a winner in high school. He won at Alabama. And when we build the team the right way, he'll be a winner here because he knows how to do that. Mm-hmm. And he's got the right makeup to handle those high-pressure situations. I've, we watched him for years, yeah. you know, do it. So I'm really excited about the next step for him. Speaking of quarterbacks, you are famous for getting the best out of quarterbacks. What's the secret, aside from what you just told us? How do you do it? Starts with relationship and trust. Starts with hearing their story and them hearing mine. Mm-hmm. I think when we can level there and they understand that I'm there for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to do that as a position coach. And then last year, first time as a coordinator, to become whatever pass game fit Baker Mayfield, mm-hmm. to become what fit Geno Smith. It really started with Russell. Becoming what fits Russell Wilson and then representing that for the staff. We had a couple of coordinators come in there and I would step in and say, okay, these are the things that Russell's great at. Mm-hmm. And then kind of build it around those things. So I'm excited to do that with Bryce. The man is just sensational on a microphone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hayden, your thoughts on the Panthers hiring Dave Canales? Well, it's a USC guy, no surprise there. So yeah, with Canales, he gets brought in because he kind of managed the let Russ cook era. That was kind of his offense. Then gets Geno Smith inherited just completely turns around his career. Same thing with Baker Mayfield. Just a couple little notes here. Just go into the weeds talking about what stylistic fits were out there. Baker Mayfield, this is just next-gen stats, how close you are inside the tackle box. And before, Baker Mayfield kind of scatterbrained, kind of played outside the pocket too much, thinking he's a player that he's not. This last year, by far, career best, staying within the pocket. I think that there's some similarities to what me, when I'm watching Bryce Young, he was forced out of the pocket so often. I think that was just kind of working against him. He led the NFL in throwaway rates. So I'm hoping that Canales can bring a little bit more structure to this team. Obviously, 
everything goes back to the players and the Panthers just did not have enough pieces around Bryce, but hopefully like the, kind of like that Baker Mayfield graphic, just keeping him inside the pocket, play on time, throw the ball a little bit earlier, having a little bit more of an answer pre-snap. Yeah. I'm hoping that's where we're going to get with David Canales. Cause there, nothing like was groundbreaking about his offense. Everything just seemed very structured yeah, an answer. and it had an answer. And I think ultimately with the Panthers kind of resetting at day one, I do think this is a good fit. Yeah. Dave consistently used the words, hit the back foot and rip it. And when he sees Love that it. in Bryce Young, those are the plays that he knows his quarterback is confident in. So then he'll create three different formations and personnel groupings with shifts and motions on top of that and kind of just reuse those plays. That is so different than Frank Reich, who basically took the first nine weeks of his Indianapolis Colts final season and then tried to implement that in his first year in Carolina and didn't incorporate RPOs or didn't incorporate things that Bryce Young was good at. And I just love that. You know, I, I love when a coach takes where certain players win and mm -hmm. utilizes them to their advantage. Now, do the Panthers have a receiving back like Rashad White in the roster? No. Do they have a primary guy who can be your answer in so many situations like Mike Evans on the outside? No. But they do have someone in Dave Canales who took this job partially to work with Bryce Young, spoke mm -hmm. about that a lot, loved him coming out of Alabama and said that, hey, I've never been in a position to draft the number one overall quarterback on my board. And Bryce Young was that like he was for the majority of the league. And in a weird way, Hayden, this. Let's say this climb to the top for Dave Canales somewhat reminds me of Matt LaFleur. In okay. that it was just a one-year play caller in Tennessee, albeit he was an offensive coordinator previous to that. Now, very different where Matt LaFleur worked, obviously, with the Shanahan's and the McVeigh's of the world. Instead, you get Dave Canales, who worked with the Pete Carroll's of the world. And okay. obviously, that shows with his juice and his energy, because we know even at 70-whatever years old, uh, Pete Carroll brought it every single day. Yeah, I just think I think that the Panthers are going to love working for Canales. They're also going to the defensive players like Evero a lot. They're maintaining yep. his spot on the defense side of the ball, so Canales can literally just focus on one side. Like Evero is going to be probably a head coach maybe one of these days, so he only has to focus on half the roster, which I do like for somebody that's like relatively inexperienced like Canales. But two other little points I wanted to bring up. The Buccaneers last year were blitzed at the second lowest rate in the NFL. Obviously, Baker Mayfield struggled with pressure. There was something that Canales was doing pre-snap to make teams not want to blitz Baker Mayfield, which has historically been the thing to, to kind of speed up Baker Mayfield and force these uh, indecisions. And then the second one, the, the Bucs were also fourth highest in RPO rate. So the, the Panthers last year were 16th. Obviously, Bryce could play that type of style. So maybe that's another easy answer that they ha that they can have there. It would also be nice if the slot receiver or the X receiver that they're throwing these RPOs to, you know, catch the ball and pick up a first down every once in a while. So these like little things before the snap, getting easier answers to Bryce Young, make him just kind of this first year settle down. And yeah. then maybe the next year and year after that, then we can look for the explosive all stuff. They just got to settle this entire offense down. Yeah, you know, when the Panthers were interviewing Ben Johnson and Bobby Slowick and Dave Canales and even say Todd Monken, I would have put Dave Canales' offense like fourth on that list in creativity. And especially mm -hmm. on first and second down, I thought he was a bit vanilla. I also want to add that this was his first time calling plays. And he even mentioned that I'm going to get better at this. Like I watched these other offenses and it almost felt like the underlying point was, hey, we can get more creative the longer we do this together and the more cohesive it yeah. can be. I, again, even just having, you know, an eight to 10 to 12 plays, that is your identity. And again, 
different formation and personnel groupings because I, I know some Panthers fans are attaching themselves to, oh, they ran less motion than the Panthers did last year in Tampa Bay. Okay, they also ran more personnel groupings. They also were far more successful doing this, that, and the other. Um, and again, big difference. Frank Reich wanted to have this all-star staff with David Tepper funding it and bringing in all these names from all different places. <laughs> Dave Knauss is basically bringing the entire Tampa yeah. Bay Bucks staff with him. Right. Now, uh, Idzik, is, Brad Idzik, I believe, is going to be the offensive coordinator. They're also bringing the offensive line coach, the running game coordinator, mm-hmm. albeit the offensive line, and specifically the running game was not efficient this next season. But, you know, it's only to me positive steps forward in the right direction, especially when you just talk about the energy that is so different that he brings yeah. and he's going to be so hands-on with Bryce young versus what Frank Reich was, who was just stuck mm-hmm. in his ways. It felt like every single week. The other thing with canals is going into last year, the box offensive line was one of the worst in the league. And I probably took some adjustments for him to figure out how you know good they were, how much to coach them up. And then also how to be able to kind of maneuver this like deep downfield pass game, because the bucks were fifth in their uh, deep ball pass rate, the Panthers 30th. So obviously Mike Evans, is like the big part of that equation, but Canales in that first year without not knowing how good this offensive line is going to be, was able to manage things. Now, hopefully that's kind of the starting point of what the Carolina Panthers could do. Yeah, Tristan Wirfs, unbelievable, but moving from right tackle over to left tackle, obviously Ryan Jensen missing the entire season Mm -hmm. at center. That was a lot of pieces to figure out. And as you said, it does help that Edgero Evero is sticking on the defensive side of the ball, even though the Packers wanted him. He was a head coach opportunist at the uh, Seattle Seahawks and other organizations. The other part of this, have to get players. General manager now, Dan Morgan, who Scott Fitter, the former general manager, actually was the one that brought him into this organization. Uh, Canales and Scott Fitter worked together in Seattle. They're about one or two doors down from each other for a handful of years. There's obviously a lot of camaraderie and connection and relationship between those two staff members. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Tennessee Titans are next. I think they're actually the first hire of the entire cycle, Hayden. And they brought in Brian Callahan. Let's meet the man. That we want to do to start is, is put the players we have in great position. Um, let them be able to find their roles, define what those roles are for them, uh, and put them in, in the matchups that, that we feel are to our advantage. Um, that's a very broad, general uh, offensive philosophy, but um, that's sort of the starting point. Uh, we want to be great detail in the passing game. Uh, route definition, route spacing, uh, want to be able to complete balls at a high percentage. Uh, that's that's always going to be the goal. Um, the run game, we still want to be physical. Don't don't get that uh, don't get that part twisted. That's been part of the Titans' identity for a long time, and it will continue to be. Uh, we'll be a physical football team, uh, and we'll be able to, to to run the ball the way we need to to win football games. Um, but that's probably the best way I could say it without going too far in the weeds. So if people thought that. Dave Canales lacked experience. Now we get to Brian Callahan, who has no true in-game play-calling experience. Now he has been around some great quarterbacks and some great offenses. Think the 
Peyton Manning days in Denver, most recently the Joe Burrow days in Cincinnati, where he was basically Zach Taylor's right-hand man. Um, Rand Carthon, the general manager, is clearly the most powerful person in the Tennessee Titans organization. He, along with the owner, are the ones that hired, or excuse me, fired Mike Vrabel. And instead, again, they bring in someone very different with very little experience in Brian Callahan. Your thoughts? He will call the plays with the Titans. Um, he's going to control the entire offense here. I loved that answer from him. It seemed like it was pass first, but remain physical in the ground game. Obviously, everyone kind of says that nowadays. I think one of the key parts to this is he's bringing his dad, Bill yeah. Callahan, uh, to coach the offensive line. Bill Callahan will uh, has forgotten more football than I'll ever know about it. It seems like the Titans are in position to draft one of these elite left tackles, which they desperately need. Early in the first round, there is not a lot of talent on this football team, in my opinion. The defense can, has more or less been gutted the last offseason or two. It's Will Levis, who remains a huge question mark. DeAndre Hopkins might be their best skilled player, and he's going into what, his age 31 season here. So Brian Callahan has a lot of work to do. It seems like they're going to give him plenty of time to get this thing figured out. But for a player or for a person that does not have any play-calling experience in the NFL, this guy is as well-respected as you can get. And obviously there's bloodlines here too. Totally. Uh, a few more quotes that he had quote. The dream is will Levis and I have a partnership for the next 10 years quote. That's when you see culture is when things get hard. Uh, and the biggest difference in being an offense coordinator to head coach time, people just want to op occupy your time as a head coach. Uh, I can keep my door shut for hours as an offensive coordinator, and that will no longer happen. Now, what I loved weirdly about the Bengals this past year is that they still won games with Jake Browning at quarterback. Mm -hmm. And it's because they shifted things to what Jake Browning was good at. And I'll also add, they shifted things to what a injured Joe Burrow was capable of. Cause we've seen very different offenses that Joe Burrow has run in the Zach mm -hmm. Taylor, Brian Callahan era there. And I'm optimistic about this hire. Uh, again, I, to me, as a true outsider, there is nothing to be known about a dude that really has nothing on resume on an NFL field that has actually happened. Mm -hmm. Yet he was a buzzworthy name, it felt like, because mm -hmm. it wasn't just the Titans that were interviewing him. It was multiple other organizations. On top of it, he is bringing Denard Wilson as his defensive coordinator. That is coming from... Now, the Mike McDonald Baltimore Ravens tree, which mm -hmm. are occupying a number of other spots across the league, which is very different than the Vic Fangio defense. Let's put it that way. And then Nick Holtz as his offensive coordinator, who Hayden has a relationship with Zach Taylor at Nebraska, then just was coaching with Press Taylor, Zach's brother in Jacksonville. So it's all relationships here. If you're not related to one of these coaches, man, good luck getting a job. But um, yeah, I'm with you. I I, I have liked all of his answers here. Yeah. And I liked what the Bengals kind of have morphed into, like even going back to like the early parts with the Jamar Chase and T Higgins, just like single high explosive plays left, right. That got taken away and then they had to make adjustments. So at least there's a precedent here of running kind of different phases of an offense here. And he's been around the right guys. Uh, but like we always say, all that matters really is who's your quarterback. Will Levis was a second round pick for a reason up and down as a rookie. Uh, we'll see how long he lasts. Yeah. And he talked about completion percentage and you have to do that. 
I don't know if that's Will Lethis's game. It's uh, not. <laughs> you don't have to say, I don't think it is. It's not. <laughs> right. And the other part of this is Will Levis also had an awful offensive line to deal with last year, as you pointed at the top. And so pairing Peter Skaronsky with a left tackle would give you a legitimate left side of that offensive line group. Yeah. The pieces, there's going to take some reworkings here, but we do have like a totally fresh restart with Tennessee Titans with Rand Carthon, right. who in one year has ascended to, it seems like one of the most powerful execs mm-hmm. in football and now Brian Callahan attached to him. Okay. We go from that to a man. All of, you know, with the Los Angeles chargers, let's go on over to a new head coach, Jim Harbaugh. One of the attractive parts of coming to this job was getting to coach Justin Herbert at quarterback. So what excites you the most about, about him as a player and as a person? Yeah, the, the, uh, the, the pros um, on this team, uh, Justin Herbert, you, you, you know, you see, I mean, he's a, as well said on that video, I mean, that's a, that's a, he's a crown jewel uh, in, in the National Football League. Uh, Derwin James, there's another one. Uh, talk, talk about somebody getting me fired up. I mean, I mean, let's go. You know, Justin Herbert walks up on you, you know, like, okay, all right, this is awesome. Keenan Allen, you know, we got, uh, you know, we got guys. Uh, uh, Rashawn Slater, I mean, great to see See him. I mean, in the in the building, uh, you know, getting getting the work in, and that's that's been the that's been uh, what I the feedback I've been getting in the communication with the players. Uh, they want to work. Uh, can't wait to work. They're ready to work, and uh, and they want to win. And uh, hey, that's uh, let's go. The uh, weight room is we're getting it cleaned up right now. We're getting it uh, getting it all set. Had a great day uh, uh, just yesterday. I mean, talk about fulfillment. I mean, going to going in there to. Home Depot and, uh, you know, getting the shop back. And uh, I feel like I'm back at USD. I mean, let's get this thing right. Let's get it good. When these players come in here, then uh, everything's, everything's organized. And they're going to see that uh, yeah, things, are, things, are, things are changing. Things are different. And uh, we want to get into that center of player development, you know, that, uh, that weight room. And let's, let's have at it. You know, it's a, you hungry? You want to eat? I mean, this is, a, this is an all-you-can-eat buffet right here. So let's get that work in. And, uh, that, and that's, that's what the players uh, have been saying back to me. You know, let's get it, Coach. So, uh, yeah, let's go. Another man that talks about work, juice, (laughs) identity. Hayden, your thoughts on the hiring of Jim Harbaugh? Well, the guy just wins wherever he goes. So I think this was like a pretty good start. It was such a refreshing start for the Chargers. They're finally moving into the new complex uh, where the current weight room where I was an intern at. I saw the weight room. It was not uh, up to par. Uh, The NFL Players Association, they uh, asked the players to kind of grade the facilities. The Chargers got an F in nutrition. Um, they basically took tender greens where I order Postmates from and made them the, uh, the cooks in the kitchen love tender greens, but probably not uh, up to par for an NFL team F minus for the training room. So all this type of stuff that the chargers historically have not gone right. They're handing the keys over to Jim Harbaugh. Yep. From working with the Chargers, it's Spanos, 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 Spanos on football operations and on business operations. And then the other key people that aren't part of the Spanos uh, family, they have been in there. Like the guy that does the cap stuff for the Chargers has been there for 27 years. The CFO for the Chargers has been there since 1991. It has been the same thing over and over and over again. And they've kind of had these like C minus level coaches without a lot of experience thrown in there. They have now taken a very serious approach, giving Jim Harbaugh the keys. And it's definitely time for the Spanos to not have the keys and give it to Jim Harbaugh and see what happens. He's been able to turn around programs time and time again, and we'll see how much he can get done with uh, Justin Herbert. Yeah, and this is definitely Jim Harbaugh's organization now. They hire general manager Joe Horitz from the Baltimore Ravens. 
his brother, John Harbaugh. And it doesn't stop there, Hayden. I mean, they're even plucking from John Harbaugh's staff. They're hiring the Ravens player evaluation and analytics manager and Corey Krawiak. Uh, Hayden, did they have a player evaluation analytics manager when you worked there? <laughs> I got I got the big gnaw wave from one of the Spanos when I went in there and shot my shot with it. I, I was not qualified for the record. Back yeah, John Spanos, uh, president of football operations since May of 2015. I believe he's been with the organization for 25 yeah. years. It helps when your dad is the owner of the team. Yeah, I mean, this is, again, a new era should be at least on paper for this organization where the Spanos family does seem like they are finally taking a step back. And, you know, I asked around a lot about Jim Harbaugh, especially to the people, the fans that were following his 49ers days very closely. Okay. And what I got back is he will not allow the public to be critical of his players. He will be he will coach them hard. He will coach them tough. He will have this, you know, work mindset. And so he can be critical of them. But you cannot. And so he wants to instill, again, this camaraderie, mm -hmm. this foundation, this belief in it all. And that team definitely needs it. It did stand out to me that he mentions Justin Herbert, Rayshon Slater, Keenan Allen, maybe mentioned another that I can't remember. Derwin. Derwin James did not bring up Khalil Mack, mm -hmm. did not bring up Joey Bosa. And that is very important when it comes to cap purposes this mm -hmm. offseason. Yeah, just looking at historically what Harbaugh has leaned into, very balanced offense going back from the Stanford days with Andrew Luck, obviously with the 49ers with Colin Kaepernick, but even Alex Smith before that, Michigan with J.J. McCarthy, who might be a first-round quarterback. They ran the hell out of the ball at Michigan recently, and then lots of emphasis on the tight end position. So with this fifth overall pick, they're going to get a premium players. Is that going to be someone like Brock Bowers and kind of fix that tight end spot? But expect a very physical team, a very well-coached team, and I think this is just kind of a, a serious hire for the Chargers, somebody that both of the media, ownership, and everyone can take very seriously because obviously he has so much experience there. And I think there's the other quick thing here, um, defense coordinator Jesse Minter coming from Michigan as well. I knew that this guy was going to be a defensive coordinator in the league. It obviously makes sense that Harbaugh is going to be the one to bring him in. This dude absolutely wrecked in the college football playoffs, so super intriguing there. And then Greg Roman, he was right. hired to be – they haven't even named the position yet. It sounds like he might be the offensive coordinator – Unless they get somebody else, there's this uh, Tanner Engstrand. Yep. Yeah, this kid might from come the in Lions. there. Yeah, from the Lions pass game coordinator. Maybe he gets the offensive coordinator job, but I do like some experience here, some continuity here, um, some some key players with the Chargers, but the rest of it's going to take a lot of development, and they don't really have the cap space to bring in a bunch of free agents this year. Yeah, again, relationships. Greg Roman, uh, obviously he was fired in favor of Todd Monken, the same offseason that Wink Martindale was fired for Mike mm -hmm. McDonald. I believe for this organization, maybe it was the year before anyways. Um, important. I will say that this team doesn't seem to have the pieces that, a what we think of a Greg Roman style offense will run. Um, obviously they need some help along the offensive line at running back. Isaiah Spiller is the only one they have under contract, I believe, right. because both Joshua Kelly and Austin Eckler are free agents. Wide receivers don't really love to block. They have no tight ends other than like Trey McKitty. Who can block? Who can't block? I, I don't <laughs> think he can block. <laughs> so there's a lot of, again, right. the identity that Jim Harbaugh is going to bring to this team yeah. that is going to drastically change. But again, I know so many people focused on the cap space and thought that this wasn't an intriguing job because of it. As we've talked about, a team like Washington that had a ton and a ton of draft picks, the piece and pieces that were intriguing, Justin Herbert, Sean Slater, mm -hmm. Keenan Allen, so on and so forth. So you get pieces that you know that you have locked right. in 
and then work to build on top of that. Cap space is a one-year problem for the Chargers this offseason. Harbaugh is going to be there, hopefully, for the f- next five-plus. Uh, real quick on the Greg Roman stuff, obviously, when you had Tyrod Taylor, Colin Kaepernick, Lamar Jackson, the quarterback ground game is going to be huge for you. Back when he was coaching Alex Smith, back in the early part of this Harbaugh era, Alex Smith was not running a lot. and He kind of went back and forth with how much he ran. Greg Roman was not calling a bunch of Alex Smith-designed uh, runs back in that era, so I don't think that Justin Herbert's always going to be doing a bunch of zone read and stuff. Herbert's an athletic guy, but I do think that they're going to have to kind of tinker with what exactly this offense uh, would be good at. Vernon Davis with the 49ers used to go crazy. They Harbaugh was drafting a bunch of tight ends. He was drafting two different uh, second-round running backs. I would not be surprised if tight end and running back are premium positions to Jim Harbaugh, at least relative to the rest of the National Football League. Okay. Last head coaching job that was filled was via the New England Patriots. It was written in his contract that Gerard Mayo would get this head coaching opportunity. Uh, Demarcus Covington, I believe, is going to stay as the defensive coordinator. Offensive coordinator, out of left field name, let's put it that way, Alex Van Pelt. Um, Mm -hmm. Alex Van Pelt most recently, by the way, he is 53 years old, um, was with the Cleveland Browns from 2020 to 2023 as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. However, we know he was not calling those plays. It was Kevin Stefanski. And you could argue in the later portions of his time there, the meld between Deshaun Watson and the offense was not a real fit. I personally would not put that on Alex Van Pelt. I would just put that on Deshaun Watson's play style and trying to fit a round peg into a square hole of Kevin Stefanski's offense. Uh, Albert Breer, who covers the Patriots very closely, he called Alex Van Pelt, the glue guy in Cleveland, that he's like this really great personality, can work with the different types of things. And like when you're going from Kevin's fancy with who knows how much they even wanted Deshaun Watson, having to make that relationship work as best as they can. And then obviously the pivot to Joe Flacco, some other quarterbacks mixed in. Obviously this glue guy kind of uh, mantra does make sense for, for Alex Van Pelt. It's all going to come down to the quarterback position here. Uh, at the third overall pick, if they go that, or if it's going to be Marvin Harrison, uh, Ian Rappaport, he reported that Van Pelt's going to quote, have a heavy hand in picking their next quarterback. That makes some sense. Cause you know, they don't have a general manager right now. Gerard Mayo is a defensive type of guy. Um, but I think ultimately this was like the easiest path for Robert Kraft. This kind of seemed like it was destined to happen here because Mayo has been in the building forever. Obviously Kraft really loves this Patriots culture that they're talking about. And, Uh, when Mayo was uh, hitting that press conference, he did have a kind of quote there that he wants to make the other team play left-handed. That's offense, defense, and special teams. They want to have this vision where they want to have a week-by-week game plan and make the teams uh, play with their left hand. That's basically what Belichick's been doing. So it's just going to be a lot to ask for Van Pelt to figure out what the quarterback position is. Uh, But I think the defense will always be pretty good. And you're actually filling two spots when... Bill Belichick does leave. It's not just head coach. It's obviously the general manager, the roster manager. No one has officially been named, but to me, the Alex Van Pelt hiring also has Elliot Wolf's fingerprints on it. Uh, They work together in Green Bay. They work together in Cleveland. Elliot Wolf is obviously Ron Wolf's son. He left, and I believe I'm remembering this correctly, left the Green Bay Packers when they decided to go after Ted Thompson to Gutekunst rather than many people expected Elliot Wolf to get that job. And now he has been working with the Patriots since. And I'm just intrigued to see like 
what their draft room is like going to be on draft weekend when notoriously they only had like four or five people in a room and it was Bill making the decisions and you had to go through the highest level of security access in order to get a seat at that table. Yeah. And I think it would be hilarious if they had a dozen people in that room this year. It would be hilarious. It seemed like Bill Belichick's dog had more say than most <laughs> other people in that building. So, yeah, this is this is a team that has a lot of holes on offense. Oh, yeah. Offensive line, there's there's talks of maybe they trade down to get out one of these offensive tackles. Is it Marvin Harrison? Do they like one of these quarterbacks, the one that is actually going to fall to them past the commanders and obviously the Chicago Bears? So there's a lot of answers on the offensive side of the ball. I think the defense, Gerard May, I, I do trust him, Covington, to keep this defense really good. When you've been around Belichick for that many years and that Robert Kraft thinks this highly of you, you would have to assume that the defense is going to remain fairly good. The tricky part, though, is that's the less sticky side of the football. And Alex Van Pelt seems very well-liked, but is kind of a, a mystery uh, on yeah. offense. Uh, now we get to wait at least a year to see how Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel somehow get themselves back into head coaching opportunities that we saw recently Mike McCarthy do this by visiting PFF headquarters one time and then getting the head coaching gig. So I'll, I'll that's a joke. I am actually um, keenly, keenly intrigued of how these two get back into it. If it does happen next, next year, or if, you know, B Belichick specifically drifts off into the distance here. Well, there's another path to get back into the NFL head or coaching ranks, and that's to, you know, have a show on the underdog football show. Uh, so, <laughs> Belichick, if you're out there, uh, we, we'll look at your resume. Okay, let's go to some coordinator positions since many head coaches stood, mainly because they got rid of their buddies at the coordinator spots. None bigger than the Philadelphia Eagles. And let's kick things over to Nick Sirianni attached to Harry Roseman. have final authority on, on what is run. Yeah, you know, it's it's our scheme. It's it will be our scheme of what we're what we're doing. And so again, I don't know exactly what that will look like yet, right? We're we're bringing in a guy to bring in new ideas, um, to do the things that that he's done in the past. Um, we're gonna we're going through an extensive uh, search to to get that right person. Um, but it'd be crazy not to add some of the things that we've done in the past uh, here as well. I don't know if it's going to be 95% this. 90, we're not there yet, right? We're working on getting the best guy in here for the job. Um, and, you know, a guy who has a vision, a guy who can, who's going to call the plays, um, a guy who's going to be able to coach a quarterback in the, in the, in the, in the same sense there. Um, so it's just about getting the right guy. And then we'll, we'll, we'll decide where that goes. But I'm hiring him to do a job um, and to be in charge of the offense. Okay. Since then... Kellen Moore, previously of the Dallas Cowboys, LA Chargers, has been hired as the offensive coordinator. Your thoughts on that move? Well, this is last call for Sirianni. You don't lose both your defensive and offensive coordinator, and the Eagles aren't getting rid of uh, the front office, so he better get this one right. The good news is what Kellen Moore was really good at with Dak Prescott was being able to maneuver against the blitz. With Dak Prescott, when they faced six-plus pass rushers over the three or four seasons with Dak, he had a 54% success rate. Last year, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, when they faced six-plus pass rushers, they were 28th in success rate down at 31%. So that's a huge gap from what Kellen Moore was at. They were dead last in EPA against them. The good news is when they aren't being blitzed and when they did not have these answers to the test against the blitz, they were very good when it was just their normal offense. They were third in points above average when it was just four or fewer pass rushers. So to me, the biggest problem with what the Eagles faced last year was 
Jalen Hurts wasn't quite effective in the scramble game, but it was really just when they blitz, and that's why they got bounced in the first round of the, of the playoffs, they did not have an answer. And historically, at least Kellen Moore had that, though the note, Dak Prescott, very good at this part of football. Jalen Hurts, it's kind of been a work in progress for him. So a few notes here. We know that for the majority of time over the last two years, the Eagles have been a heavy 11 personnel team, right? That shifted a little bit towards the end of last year where they tried to fix a few things, but the majority of time have been a heavy 11 personnel team. Now, on top of that, they use shift and motion at the lowest rate in the league, 32%. Compare that to like, I don't know, four or five really good offenses at the top, the Miami Dolphins, San Francisco 49ers, the Rams, the Lions, the Chiefs were all 69 plus percent. And just after that sixth most in the league was the Los Angeles Chargers mm-hmm. at 68%. So it doesn't stop there, right? Also, when you go to just two-by-two two formations, right, two pass catchers on each side of the football, the Eagles are at the second highest rate at 54%. So you use many of the same personnel groupings in the same sets with the same formation every single time, and this is part of the reason why you had no answers to what the defense yeah. knew they were going to be getting on, again, looks, formation, personnel groupings. And they could attack you and you had no solve to it. So mm-hmm. I am totally with the idea that the offense that Kellen Moore has come from look quite different to what the Eagles uh, have been doing. To me, that is a positive. Kellen Moore is going to be calling this offense. Nick Sirianni better understand that he has to step away, has to step away and allow Kellen Moore, who I am obviously, this seems pretty clear, still a fan of. And I also think, that the roster is going to fit into some ways where Kellen Moore has potentially struggled in the past too. Like you still are going to have an awesome power running scheme that if you just go back to two years ago, um, explosive runs that Kellen Moore was allowed or able to dish out there with Tony Pollard pre-injury, so on and so forth. I'm really excited about this marriage. And if it doesn't work, maybe a bold statement here. The reason it's not going to work is Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I think that for at least for fantasy purposes, the Jalen Hurts, the 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 tush push, all that stuff, that's not going anywhere. Like that's going to be the kind of focus on early or on late situations, on fourth downs. I think all that is not going to be Kellen Moore. It's just going to be first and second down, and then third and long. Do you have the answer to the test? So yeah, there is a difference between Dak Prescott and Jalen Hurts. So that's kind of the one caveat between the stats that I was mentioning. We're not previously. ranking them. It's just right. style of play. Right. And just being able to handle a pressure coming from one, a simulated pressure from the other. And a huge difference is, and over the last two teams that Kellen Moore has been the play caller for, we got CD Lamb working as an inside and outside player and a lot of big plays over the middle of the field. Then you got Keenan Allen in Los Angeles being an inside outside player with a lot of big plays over the middle of the field. Honestly, the Eagles have two of those types of players that they could do interchangeably in AJ Brown and Devontae Smith could both figure into that role. Mm-hmm. However, for some reason this past year, heck you might even say the year before too, the middle of the field has not been an area that constantly succeeds for this Eagles offense. That can be the play caller. Maybe more so it could be Jalen hurts, but I bet we see a lot more crossing routes a la the Tennessee Titans mm-hmm. with AJ Brown. Yeah. And that can only equal really positive things in my opinion to go along with still having Hey, if you get single high coverage, you still have a man beater 
isolated guy on the outside in Devontae Smith. Or again, they can work interchangeably. Eagles were still good at some very totally. critical parts last year on offense. So it's just they really bottomed out in other parts. If they get to average in those, this this offense is going to really start cooking again. Uh, and then defensive side of the ball, they pluck Vic Fangio from the Miami Dolphins to the Philadelphia Eagles, a guy who was actually a consultant for them heading into the Super Bowl last year mm-hmm. against the Kansas City Chiefs. I believe that they thought that he was going to just be the defense coordinator, and then he goes on over to Miami. Seems like a falling out there uh, a little bit with some yeah. of the players and the coaching style, and now he's back. Again, they had hired Sean Desai, who was one of his disciples. That did not work out. Then he moved to Matt Patricia. I'm going to keep bringing this up. The Vic Fangio stuff, um, it works its best frequently in the second half of the season. They should have the talent along the defensive line to make this work. However, we know about the linebacker, as we've talked about in previous episodes, the quarterback spots because they are aging, and then the mm-hmm. safety roles, especially Kevin Byard, who might be a cap casualty. Vic Fangio is coming home. He's from Pennsylvania, um, and I think that's one of the other reasons why Fangio wanted to go to the Eagles. For, for those that aren't aware of this, Pennsylvania has like 80% of the NFL coaches. It's crazy. Like the history, if you grew up on in Pennsylvania, uh, your odds of being an NFL coach right now is extremely high. So that's it's, just kind of a weird storyline. It's Pennsylvania. It's William and Mary and it's John Carroll university. Yeah. Yeah. That's really it. Weird. Okay. Let's go to the Pittsburgh Steelers. We've talked about this a little bit, but Arthur Smith was hired as the offensive coordinator for them. Um, it is easy to laugh at this move. I firmly believe that there is a major difference in Tennessee Titans, Arthur Smith and Atlanta Falcons, Arthur Smith. And he seems to be one of these people who is probably just going to be a coordinator for his entire career and shouldn't go back to being a head coach. I mean, one, you don't have to deal with all the media stuff. Um, My biggest issue with Arthur Smith's Atlanta Falcons days was he did not prioritize getting the ball in his best player's hands enough. Um, I think part of that is the quarterback that he was attached to. But even with that said, he still, he still was quite creative in his play calls and his run game, especially back in 2022 was extremely exciting and extremely fun to watch. And from what Diana Rossini said, quote, every single team wanted Arthur Smith who had an offensive coordinator opening. That is telling. It is telling. I think Arthur Smith coached the Atlanta Falcons as if he was scared of who his quarterback was, and I think that's completely warranted. No one is going into this Falcon season thinking that Desmond Ritter is going to be the guy, and ultimately, if you don't have a quarterback, your offense is not going to look good. I did see him scheme up Johnny Smith for chunk gains at some points. We saw uh, Bijan Robinson chunk gains in the pass game on some occasions as well. Drake London, Kyle Pitts, they're not going to be able to produce because the quarterback play wasn't good enough. So that's the one concerned with Arthur Smith here is he's going to a team that also has quarterback problems. So we'll see if they bring in somebody like Ryan Tannehill or if this is the Justin Fields team, whatever it may be. But Arthur Smith, I do think his ground game is diverse. It is very successful. The the pass game off of play action, throwing the ball over the middle of the field. Remember Arthur, or, uh, Arthur Juan uh, in Tennessee? Over the middle, yards after the catch. That guy was absolutely dicing things up. The Steelers have not thrown a ball over the middle of the field in about two decades. So we'll see. I think this could be a good thing for George Pickens. Maybe get him away from the sideline, give him a little bit more creativeness uh, on play action stuff. But we'll see. I, I'm with you, though. Arthur Smith, the, the media stuff was was a joke. But I do think X's and O's wise, he is a good coach. 
Yeah. And as you said, the AJ Brown plus Derrick Henry stuff in Tennessee, they were force fed the ball and Atlanta, Drake, London, Cal Pitts and B. John Robinson were not force fed the ball. Um, good on, good on Mike Tomlin for doing this. Now, again, as we are saying with all these other teams, it matters what you do at the quarterback position. And there are not, aren't enough good ones to even no. fit this dynamic. So I wonder if you're finally your Ryan Tannehill combination, uh, for Arthur Smith comes back here, but I, 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 I bet we do see more dig routes from George Pickens with Arthur Smith than we have in his previous two years, Matt Canada and company. I agree. And that can equal fancy points. Okay. Um, let's talk about the bucks real quick. Cause Dave Knopf's left. Liam Cohen is coming in. Uh, he was most recently with the Kentucky Wildcats. And then before that was with the Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay. And then before that was again with the Kentucky Wildcats. I actually uh, reached out to someone who was on that Ram staff with him. Just posed the question, is Cohen back as an offensive coordinator shocking to you? He said, no. He took a lot of blame for LA, but that was not his fault. Absolutely ridiculous year filled with bullshit. That would be hard to believe. Quote, he's smart, good with players, think he will do well. And as you know, he wasn't calling the offense in LA. So Again, this is one of those things where, yes, he worked with Sean McVay, but Sean McVay then didn't keep him, and the offense got a lot better, basically right. sent him back to Kentucky. And here we are, and now he joins a Bucks offensive staff where many of the coaches have departed with Dave Canales to Carolina. He's in a tough spot because he doesn't even know who his quarterback is. He doesn't know who his wide receivers are going to be. The offensive line coach did a great job last year, but – we can argue about how good those players actually are with the off new offensive line coach. So this one's so hard to kind of handicap just because like, we don't know anything about what the bucks are going to do on offense. Cause we don't even know who's going to be out there on the field. So um, yeah, I don't have a lot of notes here. The, the, the small link is I believe Liam Cohen was on the staff when the Los Angeles Rams claimed Baker Mayfield on waivers after the Panthers cut him. So okay. they do. And, you know, Baker came in there on like one day notice and balled out played, one played or two well, times right? and then yeah. didn't play like the rest of the year. Anyways, there is like that small link okay. and overlap there. Yeah. Um, Browns, new offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, as we've talked about in the show, worked with Cam Newton, worked with Josh Allen, two guys who have their moments outside of structure. And let's say rein them in a little bit to work in the flow and in the rhythm of the offense. To me, Hayden, that is the reason why he was brought into Cleveland because it's obvious when you're watching Joe Flacco, the rhythm of the structure of the play versus what Deshaun Watson, how uncomfortable and disjointed it right. works in Kim Stefanski's offense. Obviously Flacco balled out towards the end of the year and people were like wondering if Flacco is going to be the new guy. Obviously they're going to be starting with Deshaun Watson here and this kind of signals that as well. So yeah, I think Ken Dorsey got blamed for a lot of things in Buffalo. They just kind of needed a little refresh uh, and seemed like they were just kind of Sean McDermott issues with the offense and they didn't see eye to eye. Uh, I'm sure Ken Dorsey is a good coach. He did get kind of caught up. I uh, had a pretty bad comment in that press conference talking about Deshaun Watson's character. Um, but yeah, talking in front of the camera for a lot of hours, you can say some things that you kind of want back. Uh, the other part of that press conference is Kevin Zafanski was asked if he will definitely be calling plays. And he said, it's February 5th. Nothing is certain yet we still have a long way to go again i will reiterate if kevin Stefanski is not calling plays ken dorsey is coming from a good offense that right. you know he did some good things with 
But to me, Kevin Stefanski is a top 10 play caller. <laughs> what are we doing here? In NFL. <laughs> and it would be very similar to me as like Doug Peterson giving up that job to press Taylor and yeah. things taking a, a downturn. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's let's keep the coach of the year candidate uh, yeah. calling place. <laughs> um, any other offensive? Oh, Shane Waldron plus Thomas Brown with yeah. the Chicago Bears. We have an entire video with Colt McCoy on Shane Waldron. Uh, they also bring Thomas Brown, who is the offensive coordinator in Carolina. Just quickly on that front, um, I don't think Thomas Brown should really have anything associated with what happened to Carolina attached to his name because Frank Reich from day one wanted to run his offense and then force Thomas Brown to call his offense. Um, I'm excited for Shane Waldron because it seems like everyone who wasn't a Seattle Seahawks fan is more excited for Shane Waldron than actual people who watch his offense on a weekly basis. Cause I think it might be frustrating to them how some plays were disjointed, how they weren't connected, but just from a creative and, fun standpoint where he does things with formation groupings and shifting personnel here and there. He did some yeah. cool shit. Yeah. He definitely moved around the, the personnel groupings. Geno Smith was willing to attack the ball downfield. Uh, the offensive tackles being injured this last year. I think the interior of the offensive line for Seattle was not very good. So it took a step back this year. Uh, Shane Waldron is a quarterback collective guy. Notably, both Caleb Williams and Justin Fields trained with the quarterback collective. Um, I don't think that was a um, coincidence. I think that was kind of planned here. Obviously, Shane Waldron uh, got one of these jobs quicker than most. So he was definitely coveted out there. And I've liked what the Seahawks have done the last couple of years. So I, I think it's too early to tell if it's going to be Caleb Williams or Justin Fields. Both you and I, if we were guessing right now, it would be Caleb. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, it's going to be a quarterback. Period. I hope <laughs> first or move to second or whatever it is. It's going right. to be a quarterback. I just think the days of Justin Fields are are, are done in Chicago. Okay. Um, quickly, some names along the offensive side. Saints hired Clint Kubiak as their offense coordinator. Sure. Again, that was, I believe, most recently with the Minnesota Vikings. And then obviously he was let go from there and has now been in some different spots. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I mean, again, as we have talked about, Weird cap situation, as always, for them. And you still have Derek Carr. And I feel like a well, Derek Carr offense is going to be a Derek Carr offense. It's always tough when the the, the cap isn't real. People um, refresh their Twitter feed and then see that they have uh, extended Derek Carr for two more years because right. they had to do that. And that was the first step. So, yeah, Pete Carmack has been there since since I've been alive. So it was just kind of time to get a new set of eyeballs in there. Of course, Kubiak, you recognize the last name for, for a reason. So uh, it helps if you have the bloodlines. Okay, and the defensive side of the ball, uh, Anthony Weaver joins the Miami Dolphins in place of Vic Fangio. Again, I think this is the fourth Ravens defensive staff member to get a promotion this offseason. Mm -hmm. Again, everything lives in bubbles during these coaching cycles. We've talked about the CEO stuff on the head coaching front. Now it's this everyone wants a piece of the Ravens defense, which is vastly different than the Vic Fangio defense everyone wanted over the last two offseasons. Yeah, and then throwing the Jesse Minter, it's the, it's the right. Michigan defense as well. So yeah, I think it's it's not a surprise. I think it's it's kind of more interesting for the Ravens side of things, where they had the best or second best defense in the league, and now they're going to be throwing people in their up positions as well, just because they got flushed out. Yeah, Zach Orr is now the defense coordinator of the Ravens, who I believe had to end his playing career early because of a neck injury. He was a linebackers yeah. coach. Um, so congrats to him for climbing the ranks so quickly and now being a defense coordinator on that side of the ball for the Ravens. Again, some of these teams 
especially when you have like a special teams guy who then becomes your head coach and John Harbaugh, you have, you're going to either by your own accord, by firing guys or because other teams want them mm -hmm. lose coordinators. But that team is so well prepared uh, at filling in those gaps that they know who they want to um, hire immediately. Mm -hmm. I, I will throw in one defense coordinator name real quick. Cause I feel like this show gave him love before anyone else. Ryan Nielsen. Yes, uh, was with the Falcons. Now he is joining the Jacksonville Jaguars as an early hire by them as their defensive coordinator. Um, love this, love this. Um, you can when you watch Trip Balky's press conference, you can already, I think, see the friction, the edges between, let's mm -hmm. say, the front office and the coaches. Where Trent Balky point blank basically said that. Hey, the players are not the issue. It's kind of their development yes. that has been the issue so far. This sure. is probably very reminiscent and eerily similar to 49ers fans out there during his days with mm -hmm. Jim Harbaugh. Um, but Ryan Nielsen, I will say, did a lot of good stuff with a lesser talented Atlanta Falcons defense. I will add on the Jaguars, there is no Jesse Bates, who is like this marauding center mm -hmm. field figure that took away the middle of the field for a lot of uh, on a lot of occasions, but I'm excited to see what he does with that defensive line group. Plus Ryan Nielsen's got edge rushers though. And Atlanta, yep. they, they were dead last or second worst in pass rush win rate. And they were still a top 10, top 12 defense. A lot of that was because of the interceptions you mentioned, Jesse Bates. So uh, I think Jacksonville is a team that could look at corner or safety uh, in the draft or in free agency. But yeah, Ryan Nielsen did a lot with not a whole lot uh, uh, on the Atlanta Falcons. So I think that was a good hire. The, the uh, coaches in the AFC South, very intriguing. Just going back with D'Amico and and Bobby Slowick. You throw in uh, Shane, Shane Steichen up there. Obviously, Peterson now with Ryan Nielsen. It's it's an arms race. We talked about – we liked Callahan too. So, all of a sudden, it's like joke AFC South. Um, I kind of like the coaching staff down there. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And we'll just close out quickly mentioning that the Green Bay Packers hired defense coordinator Jeff Halfley. Um, he was the head coach of Boston College. Um, I do not watch college football notoriously on Saturdays because I try to take one day off from you football every single week. <laughs> I try to have one life, and especially because I watch the Premier League in the morning. Um, could this be a trend, Hayden, of college dudes wanting to exit college because the work is just drastically different now than it used to be because of NIL? Uh, it's just not, hey, we recruit you one time and you're locked in for two to three to four years. And instead, you are just constantly recruiting every single day of the week you're not only recruiting just the players to come from high school you're also recruiting the transfer portal and then on top of that you're recruiting your own players to not leave so you're just recruiting everybody at all times there is no loyalty the coaches there's also no coaches loyalty these guys will bounce around from team to team as well so i do think that this trend uh is real the best work-life balance if you want to even call that is in the NFL versus uh, the college ranks just because there's a little bit more of an offseason. These NFL head coaches, they're not sleeping much either, but I do think there is a difference between like five years ago in college football and now. The, the one thing I will say, the college, don't feel bad for these college football coaches. With these buyouts, they get like $50, 60000000 million not to work, um, so they can go into Thailand um, just like Cliff Kingsbury did with the Cardinals. There we go. Okay. We have covered everything here on this show. Ladies and gentlemen, Hayden and I are off to Las Vegas, then over – to Phoenix, uh, a week away from our desks, release the locks, let us go on an airplane, 
We're going to have some more content. Hayden, I believe you and I are filming our full length Super Bowl preview yep. on Thursday. It'll be late Thursday night, if not Friday morning here on the channel. But we also have plenty of other content on the way this week plus next week. Um, and just be tuned into our socials in order for to know when mm -hmm. those are all going to post. And obviously hit subscribe and they'll be in your feed immediately. Yeah, Josh said he wants to go to Hakkasan with me on Wednesday night. Hakka what? Hakkasan. You're going to learn today, bud. Got no clue. All right. Thanks, Producer Weaves. Thanks to all of you. Up the villa. We will. Talk to you all soon. See you.